Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Reminds me of this last week. I met an old friend, a great friend, scientist friend from Switzerland. We'd known each other for years. We've been in his home over 30 years, spent a lot of time at dinners and, and down through the years we were always talking about all the new ways to diagnose disease, monitor disease. And, and I was so happy because I got a chance to be with them. Big convention was here in San Diego last week. 12, 14,000 people once a year. American Association of Clinical Chemistry. It's the biggest meeting for our industry that, in the U.S. So anyway, so he came here. And I was happy to have two hours with him in his hotel and tell him why, as I started off my talk, I said to him, you need God. And I to explain to him why. And I was telling him that, you know, you're going to wake up after death in one of two places. One you should be in, one you should not be in. And I said, you're going to wake up after death. And he looked at me shocked and he says, you really think so? I said, you're going to wake up after death. He says, you really think so? I said, no, I don't think so. I know so. People hope about death that nothing's going to happen after death. That's their hope. They're kind of like the brothers. They just hope they can just, you know, nothing's going to happen. They're just going to go down to Egypt, get the food, and get out. And that's why cemeteries are called peace, places of peace. In German, they call it a place of peace. Because people wish that the dead will rest in peace. That's the wish. It all reflects this hope, like the brothers, that somehow they might not have to stand before Joseph. But verse 14 tells us that no sooner had they arrived in Egypt and they found themselves standing before Joseph. And that's the way death is. Death is going to be like the brothers immediately finding themselves standing before Joseph. No sooner will a person die than he's going to be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10, which says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether good or bad. So they all stand now before Joseph, and Joseph fixes his eyes. And what is Joseph fixing his eyes on? Verse 16. Benjamin, when Joseph saw Benjamin, this is the thing that just captures Joseph. He sees Benjamin, and we can imagine how Joseph just fixes his eyes, gazes on, and just studies Benjamin. Why? Benjamin is his only full brother of the group. How old was Benjamin the last time Joseph saw him? About 10 years old. Now, I want you to think of somebody that you know here that's about 10 years old. You got that in mind? Is your daughter about 10 years old? 
No. Almost 10. Okay. Think of someone about that age, right? This is Joseph's only full brother, Benjamin, is 10 years old. How old is Benjamin now? 33. Is that how old you are, Cody, about 33 years old? <laughs> 33. We don't know anybody 33 here, but anyway, 33 years old. So you can imagine how Joseph is looking at Benjamin and he's saying to himself, the last time I saw you, you were 10 years old. Now you're 33 years old. And he's looking at there, and the emotion is welling up in Joseph as he's looking at Benjamin. He's gazing at him. And you want to know how that emotion just came on him like a wave? Drop down to verse 29. Drop down to verse 29, Genesis 43, 29, where it says, he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Like I say, he was the only full brother. His mother's son and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And you can almost hear his voice cracking as he says that. And he turns to him and said, God, is be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. He lost it. <laughs> he, he's called his mother's son, and when Joseph looks on Benjamin, he lost it at the very core of his body. He really had a misfortune <laughs> that day. His bowels... You know, and, and Joseph felt this yearning from the depth of him in Benjamin. And he goes and runs away to find some private place so he can cry his heart out. Then he's got to wash up and appear again. So Joseph is very glad to, to see Benjamin. And he's very glad to see something about Benjamin. What do you think that thing might be that he's glad to see about Benjamin? Anybody got an idea? What do you think Joseph might have been afraid of regarding Benjamin? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Benny boy. Uh, it's like uh, he's afraid the brothers might have treated Benjamin like they treated him because Benjamin was the remaining son of Rachel. And when Joseph disappeared, Joseph knew his father's affection, Jacob's affection, was going to all fall on Benjamin. So Joseph was afraid for Benjamin that, 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 that the brothers would have treated Benjamin in the same contempt and the same hatred that they treated him with. So he's kind of relieved to see he doesn't look so bad. So Joseph sees the one he's been looking for, Benjamin, and he commands his servant. In verse 16, he commands his servant, says, when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home, slay, make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. I wonder the way that's written there when it says, when Joseph saw Benjamin, he said, you're going to eat with me. I wonder if he saw Benjamin all beat up. Maybe he wouldn't have said that. <laughs> Maybe he said, hey, put those, anyway. But <clears throat> Joseph now makes arrangements for the brothers to have lunch with him that day. That was nice. That's nice. I mean, you know. He didn't arrange for them to have lunch in the palace cafeteria, right, or in the executive restaurant of the palace, but he arranges for them to come to his house, come to his home. You know, that was a big deal. You know, Joseph invited these men to eat with them in his home, and it shows a vulnerability on Joseph's part. I mean, you know, what if Joseph left his dirty socks in front of the sofa or something like that, you know, and they would see his dirty socks, you know, because he didn't pick them up. 
I mean, there's a certain closeness, there's a certain intimacy in being in a person's home. Like I mentioned to you, this last week we have the largest trade show here in the U.S. for our field of clinical chemistry at the convention center downtown. And that meant that all of our customers from around the world came to San Diego, from China and Europe and everything. And so what's common is that, you know, you meet with your customers, you take them to a restaurant. Well, we had two customer groups from Germany and the U.S., and they came over to my house. And that's nice because, again, there's a certain closeness that's realized from being in a person's home rather than being in a restaurant. And I made sure that all my dirty socks were picked up in front of the sofas. <laughs> so Joseph arranges for the brothers to come to his house for lunch. Great. And in preparation for this unexpected lunch, Joseph tells his servant to bring the men home and then go out, kill an animal, and make it ready for lunch, you know? How long do you think that would take? How long do you think it would take to go to an animal pen, catch the animal, kill the animal, skin the animal, gut the animal, prepare it for cooking, and then cook it? You think that's about an hour? <laughs> It'd probably take you and I about two days to do something like that, right? But even for an experienced staff, it's going to take a while to do all that. Meanwhile, where's Joseph? Well, he's out. He's gone. He's out. He's gone. He's, I'll be back at lunch. I'll be back at noon. All this is going on, and he's gone. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Doesn't that seem strange? You've been waiting all your life for this moment, and your only full brother is now 33 years old. The last time you saw me, he was 10 years old, and at last he's in front of you, and you decide to go out to work and come back later. What pressing work do you have? that would take you away from such an important event with your family. Why do you think that Joseph did that? Why do you think that Joseph decided to continue working and asked his steward just take care of his family? Why do you think? That's it. He knew he could not control his emotion. This again shows the great wisdom on Joseph's part. Clearly, Joseph is filled with emotion. You know, he got up that day, he expected it to be just another day, and all of a sudden he's seeing Benjamin and his brothers, and, and we saw later how he's overwhelmed, he can't control it. And so with his emotions like that, guess who got in the driver's seat of Joseph's car? Mr. Impulse. <laughs> okay, and Joseph knows it's dangerous to have Mr. Impulse in the driver's seat of the car. He knows an accident can happen. And so Joseph knows that with Mr. Impulse driving his car, it's very dangerous. And so he knows that Mr. Impulse likes to be in the driver's seat, and Mr. Impulse doesn't easily get out of the driver's seat, but he needs to get time to get Mr. Impulse out of the driver's seat and get Mr. Wisdom back on in the driver's seat. That's why he took this time. That's why he took these hours to calm down and get Mr. Impulse out of that driver's seat, get Mr. Wisdom back in there. And so what we see Joseph doing here is a great example for us. It's a great example because when we find ourselves in the heat of emotions with a red face and elevated blood pressure and tears welling up, that's just not the best time to make good decisions. And Joseph knows that. When we're angry, the Bible says in James 1.20, James 1.20, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When we're all worked up, when our emotions are worked up, and we think, i got to get even, 
The Bible says in Romans 12, 19, Romans 12, 19, brethren, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So when we find ourselves like Joseph did, overwhelmed with emotions, that's the time for us to do what we see Joseph doing here. Step back, regain our position as God's servant, as God's servant. That's the time to step back and pray the prayer of Gethsemane saying, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We need to do what Joseph is doing here. Step back, take time to be with God. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. I can imagine sometimes angels looking down from heaven and saying, don't do it, don't do it. (laughs) Don't take the beat. Oh, no, he did it. Oh, no. Here we go again. (laughs) Because Joseph here was determined not to rush in where angels fear to tread, but Joseph here was determined to do what it says in Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And that meant that Joseph had to retreat back and spend some time for getting Mr. Impulse out of the driver's seat, spend time with God. Emotions are very dangerous because they override rational, clear thinking. And Joseph wanted to be sure that he made the right decisions here. So instead of rushing in while he was filled with emotion, he just takes a little intermission. He just says, okay, break, I need an intermission now. I need some time to allow his feelings to vent off, as he did cry later on, and to carefully consult with God for what's the best course of action here in this very delicate situation. That's a trait of a man of God. That's a trait of a man of God. That's what I remember so well about Pastor Jim, how at times he wouldn't give his opinion on a matter. He would just say, I've got to take time to pray about that, to know. So Joseph, he asked his servant, go butcher the animal, which was also smart for Joseph to not do that himself because that was not a good time for Joseph to be handling sharp objects like knives or other problems could happen. So now we read in verse 17. The man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. So here the brothers are. They're in Joseph's homes, and they're probably told, make yourself at home. It's going to be a while. Relax. Enjoy yourself in the home. They're in the home of the most powerful man on earth. Not bad. They should have said, well, this is, a, this is more like it. You know, it's a kickback after a long journey. Enough with those donkeys in that dusty road. Now, okay, they've been brought into the White House, and they're told to relax while lunch is being prepared while the prime minister's away. They should have been really happy. should have been really happy to be treated as guests with such royalty. I mean, wouldn't you feel good? If the president invited you to the White House and asked you to relax in the blue room (laughs) while an elaborate feast is being prepared for you until the president comes home from work. Well, instead of being really happy to be brought into Joseph's house, we read in verse 18, the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned into our sacks, the the first time where we brought in, that we may seek occasion against us, fall upon us, take us for bondmen and our asses. Why were they afraid? They were afraid because they thought, uh-oh, it's coming. You know, right? And now they've been given special attention. They wanted to avoid special attention. 
I mean, last time they got special attention, it was bad for them. (laughs) And now they're afraid it's going to be bad for them again. All they want to do is just get in line with everybody else, buy their food and go. But being called out of line and shown this special attention, being ushered into Joseph's house, it's not what they wanted. They're afraid. Guilt has made them afraid. They're afraid because they have a guilty conscience. Guilt changes joy into misery. That's what guilt does. The lost who are not forgiven by God, they fear the worst. They're always fearing the worst. They're just not able to really fully enjoy the blessings that are given to them in life. They figured, no, it's just the calm before the big brick drops from heaven. And what we see here with these brothers is how worry has prevented them from really enjoying being brought into the home of the prime minister for lunch. Their bad conscience is painting a terrible picture of what's going to happen to them. And they think, ah, now we got it. We got it. Okay, they just got all the intrigue figured out. Uh, the prime minister is going to, you know, what's going to happen when he brings them home. Now, from verse 18, what are they particularly afraid will happen? They're going to become slaves. And they're also worried about their donkeys. <laughs> but anyway, they're going to be, they're afraid of being taken. As, That's funny. Who said anything about becoming slaves? Who said anything about them becoming slaves? Why do you think they were afraid of becoming slaves? Yes, payback, because they were guilty of making their brother a slave, their brother Joseph a slave. They knew that's what they deserved. They deserved to become slaves because they made their brother a slave. They knew that God is just and he gives the same judgment to others that they gave, which is what's meant. In Galatians 6, 7, Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth that, that also shall he reap. They knew they had sowed slavery to their brother Joseph. They knew they deserved to reap slavery for themselves. That's why verse 18 says they were afraid of being made slaves. And before this, no one said anything about becoming a slave. A guilty conscience doesn't need an accuser. The guilty conscience is the accuser. Everything alarms the guilty conscience. Sins is alarming. Red color is the color of the alarm light. (laughs) It's the color of alarms. White is the color of peace. It's the color of truce, which is is why the idea is behind the wave, the white flag of peace. And which is why by following God's reasoning and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, a color change happens. To our sins in Isaiah 118, Isaiah 118, where God says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, that's red. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So what God is saying in Isaiah 118 is that sins are an alarming red color. They're an alarming scarlet red. And that alarming red color of sins signals to God that judgment is needed here. Oh, I see that red color. Judgment's needed. That's an alarming color. That's the alarming red color of sins, they signal that to God, judgment's needed. They also signal to man fear that judgment is needed, and that's the fear we see in these brothers in verse 18. But God is also saying in Isaiah 118 that he is inviting men to come and reason with him. God's reasoning is always Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 is God's reasoning for, your, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's God's reasoning. God's gift of eternal life then changes the color of sin from an alarming red to a peaceful white, a white as snow. 
and the white color of changed sins signals to God peace. No need for judgment here, peace. As it says in Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace. We have the white color of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The white color of peace with God. And the white color of changed sin signals to us we won't be judged. So fear and alarm are removed and we won't be afraid like the brothers are in verse 18. But these brothers have not experienced this color change in their sins from red to white as promised by Isaiah 118. But they will. They will. And until then, they're afraid. Now they really are feeling this strongly. And you got to kind of empathize with them a little bit. I mean, you know, when they say we're being set up, we're being set up, and then they say in verse 18, look, he's going to fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. Literally in the Hebrew, it's reading like he's going to roll over on us, you know, like a wrestler does. When he rolls over on his opponent so he can't get up. And so they evidently, they, and, and evidently they came, I don't know, with a sizable number of donkeys, and they're sure, well, those are valuable. He wants those too. So you kind of have to think about how they're thinking at that time. They're at the mercy of this man. Whatever decision he makes, that's it. That's final. There is no international court of appeals here. <laughs> you know, that's it. And Jacob is in no position to come wage a war with Egypt over a bad decision. So they're in a really terrible state. And, and in this terrible state of fear, they look around the room there, wherever they are, and they say, what do we need? Verse 19, they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they communed with him at the door of the house. What are they looking for? An intercessor. An intercessor, someone to plead their part, someone to represent them. They're in this house, they're all alone. The only one who's there is the steward. And they said, they're saying to him, please, please be our intercessor. Please represent us. Please plead for us. You know, people say, oh, I can stand before God on my own. No, you can't. And this shows it here. And this also shows it at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, where the Jewish people, where it says in Exodus 20.18, Exodus 20.18, all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood off and they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. They wanted an intercessor. They wanted Moses and they got it. Which when we see this, it makes us appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ so much because that's what he is for us. Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our great intercessor, the Lord Jesus, to intercede for us. Thank you, Lord, for by the cross changes the color of our sin from red to white. And Lord, as we see these things about these brothers, about Joseph, about his wisdom and not being hot-headed, Lord, and we see Jacob changing to an orientation of prayer, we pray, Lord, help us to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.